Hi, this is NC Insider Editor Brian Murphy, and thanks for listening to another episode of Under the Dome. Will Doran of the News and Observer and I talked a lot in this episode about North Carolina's new legislative districts, uh, the 18 districts among the House and the Senate that may be the most competitive races to watch in 2022. At the beginning of the episode, we talked about some other events happening in North Carolina politics, and I just wanted to record this and give you a sense that a couple of things have changed. We talked a little bit about the latest challenge to Madison Cawthorn and his eligibility to run for Congress. A hearing had been scheduled for Monday. That meeting has been um, rescheduled till later in March. And then secondly, we talked a bit about the possibility of uh, North Carolina state lawmakers challenging the North Carolina Supreme Court's decision on the redistricting maps all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. That has happened. That happened after we recorded this episode. That challenge has been made. That appeal has been made to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll see what the Supreme Court does if they'll hear the appeal, if they won't hear the appeal in, in the coming weeks. But just wanted to let you know that we are, we are up to date on the news that's happening. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. I'm joined today by Will Doran of the News and Observer. And there's obviously a lot of stuff happening in the world, uh, not to mention a war in Russia, a uh, Supreme Court nomination. Uh, and here in North Carolina, we've certainly had a, our fill of news about the maps, the legislative and congressional maps. Uh, in today's podcast, we're really going to talk about the legislative maps, which I don't know have gotten quite as much attention as the congressional maps. But first, uh, we'd like to give you three things to look forward to this week. Uh, number one, news on Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, um, uh, today, actually, uh, there's going to be a federal court hearing um, in the lawsuit that uh, Representative Madison Cawthorn has filed against the state. Um, for anyone who has missed that, uh, What's happening is there's a group of voters who are trying to uh, prevent Cawthorn from even being able to be on the ballot at all. Um, saying that because he, of his role in, in the January 6th Capitol riot. Exactly. Uh, they say that uh, there's a, a part of the 14th Amendment in the Constitution says that if you, uh, you know, take an oath to defend the Constitution, as all members of Congress do, and then go on to engage in insurrection against the government that you have previously sworn to defend, then you cannot rejoin said government. Um, and so that, that was passed in, in relation to the Civil War uh, to keep Confederate uh, you know, congressmen who had left to go see, join the Confederacy to stop them from coming back <laughs> after the war ended. Um, but uh, these voters are actually trying to apply that to uh, Cawthorn now in relation, as you said, to the, the January 6th attacks. Cawthorn has, one, denied that that was an insurrection and that he engaged in any insurrection. But he says even beyond that, this shouldn't apply to him because I guess back in the 1800s, a few years after this amendment passed, Congress kind of reversed course and said, actually, never mind, we're going to let all those Confederates back in anyways. This is probably worth its own entire podcast <laughs> on, on the issue of January 6th and Cawthorn's eligibility. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating. We're, we're going to hear a lot about it in the weeks to come. One other court case, lawyers always always make money, uh, that we should keep an eye on is, is whether or not state lawmakers um, challenge the, the ruling of the trial court and the appellate court or the Supreme Court all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, particularly on the congressional maps. There's been some talk that they're considering a challenge all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, throughout this whole process, really ever since early February when the the North Carolina Supreme Court overturned this congressional map, the question has been, okay, like, 
will the legislature try to take this up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has a Republican majority, unlike the state Supreme Court, which has a Democratic majority. Um, and they so far have not, but they've also told us, you know, look, we're keeping all our options open just because we haven't filled yet doesn't mean we're not going to. Um, but I mean, we're getting down to the wire here. You know, candidate filing started last week <laughs> for the 2022 elections. Um, so, you know, I guess it's still a possibility, but you would think that if there was going to be an appeal, it probably would have happened already. But also, like, if you're going to appeal something to the Supreme Court, you want to take it seriously. You don't want to just write it up in a day, <laughs> kind of wing it. Late last week, I was told that discussions were still ongoing, uh, that, that the legislative leaders had not yet decided their next course of action. Um, maybe they'll let the filing period end and the election happen and then challenge because th there really is a constant. They see a constitutional argument here that the court is not giving them time to rewrite. That the court is taking this ability or redraw the maps that the court is taking this ability away from the legislature who has it um, in the North Carolina constitution, who has the ability to draw these maps. So I think, as you said, you want to, you want to be serious if you're going to go to the U S Supreme court, but I do think they think that there's a constitutional issue that needs to be settled at some point. Maybe that point is not before the May primary. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know what, there's a very good chance of whatever happens that, you know, we're going to be back doing this a year from now <laughs> because, you know, especially for the congressional map, there's a state law that says if, if the court doesn't let the legislature do it, if they submit their own maps, then it only gets views for one election. So, you know, it, assuming that this court drawn map does stand, it'll only be used this year in 2022 and then it's back to the drawing board and whichever party controls the legislature it, after the 2022 elections, we'll get to control that redistricting. Two, which I think probably brings us to the main point of today's podcast, which is those state legislative maps, because, yeah. you know, that's going to determine in a large part uh, who does control the legislature and that next redistricting process and all of that. Also, another good podcast in the future is who controls the Supreme Court may ultimately determine who controls this redistricting process. But but Will's right. The, the, the main topic that we're going to look at today are these these very close competitive legislative districts, or at least they've been close uh, based on composite election data from 2016 and 2020. These are the districts that um, could determine, you know, how big a majority the Republicans have in the legislature and whether or not they have a supermajority. Um, one thing I, I found interesting looking at some of the data that's been compiled, compiled by the legislature, and, and you were um, gracious enough to put it in a spreadsheet for me, help me look at it. If the Republicans start to take all of these races that we're about to talk about, all of these districts, there's another tranche of districts that Democrats, if you look again, if you look at those 2016 and 2020 elections, won by four, five, six, up to seven points. If the Republicans and, and 2022 may be a Republican wave election start getting into some of those races, which we're not going to talk about today, then we could be really seeing the making of a supermajority. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you. Like you said, you've got to see, you know, that say Democrats typically win by around 6%. But if 2022 is a 3% swing in favor of Republicans, then that erases that 6% Democratic gain because you take 3% from one side and to the other side, 3 plus 3 is 6. So, <laughs> yeah, the, even those seats that are within 6, you know, could, could possibly be in danger for some of the Democrats if, you know, we get 
results here like you know people saw in Virginia in 2021 when the Republicans had a really really good year you know the the, the off off year elections in both Virginia and New Jersey the swing was about 17 points yeah. um, now those were both blue states and they swung about 17 points towards Republicans I mean if we see a 17 point swing in North Carolina you know Katie bar the door it's you know Republicans are gonna have maybe 90 90 seats <laughs> I, I don't know I mean I have to really do the math but uh, well over 80, well over the supermajority, uh, um, it would make a, a very different final two years of Governor Roy Cooper's term. Um, yeah. and, and we'd see what happens after that. In, in, in that kind of wave election, no doubt the Republicans would control the Supreme Court and, and we'd have all, we'd see all kinds of things, I think, at that point. Um, so if it's a wave, I don't know if any of these districts we're about to talk about matter. But in, in the case of a sort of neutral year, um, there are six uh, new Senate districts and 12 new House districts that were decided by four percentage points or less based on that composite election data. Um, that, that composite election data was a dozen um, statewide races in 2016 and 2020. So you're, you're thinking the, the 2016 presidential, the, the 2020 presidential, the 2020 Senate race, uh, the governor's race in both of those years. Uh, they took all those numbers, sort of averaged them out, and here's what these districts will do. And, and as I said, there are six Senate races, Senate districts, and 12 House districts that when you put all those numbers together were decided by four points or fewer. Um, in the Senate, we're talking about, we'll start with some of the closer ones and then kind of work on, well, we'll start with District 21, which is all of Moore County and part of Cumberland. Uh, Republicans have won that 50 to 48 and a half over all those 12 elections. Tom, McMinnis, uh, Tom McGinnis is the representative he's filed in December. So th these are the type of districts we're talking about. Um, District 7 down in New Ham Hanover, where Senator Michael Lee is, is the incumbent. Um, Republicans have a very narrow edge there. Um, Republicans have the edge in, in three of these races, um, but they also have District 11, for example, which is Franklin, Nash, and Vance County. Democrats, if you look at those last 12 elections, actually hold a very slight edge, um, but that is represented by Senator Lisa Barnes, who's a Republican. So these are districts that can really go one way or the other. You looked at some of these districts. Is there one of them that stands out to you? I think that uh, the Michael Lee race will really be an interesting one to watch. That's a district that's flipped back and forth a few times in recent years, and it's largely stayed the same shape. Actually, what, what they drew in this most recent round uh, actually looks a lot like a district that got ruled unconstitutional in 2019 <laughs> in a different uh, redistricting lawsuit. Um, which basically they had taken all of New Hanover. New Hanover County itself is a, just barely too big to have one Senate district uh, just because of the population. So it has to be split somehow. The question then just becomes, how do you split it? And what Republicans have done so far in the past is take out downtown Wilmington, where there's particularly a lot of uh, majority black neighborhoods uh, in the areas kind of just north and just south of downtown. And they've kind of cut those out of the main New Hanover district and instead put them into a largely kind of rural agricultural district uh, that you know also includes like Brunswick County and some of the kind of surrounding counties around Wilmington. Um, and so that was part of the 2019 lawsuit. It went away, it got redrawn to instead of taking the, you know, that downtown area, they took, I think, some like the kind of more suburban areas north of like in the far north of Wilmington and put those in that district. But then <laughs> new round of redistricting came back and put those back in. So that district is going to look a lot like it did in the past. Um, and 
like I said, Michael Lee had won that, and then it got won by Harper Peterson, the former Wellington mayor, who's a Democrat, but then it flipped back to Michael Lee. Um, I, I don't know if uh, Harper Peterson is going to run again in that district this time, or if it'll be, you know, for what, a second or third rematch between <laughs> the two of them, uh, or if it'll be somebody else. Um, you know, obviously candidate filing is still happening, but I, that's going to be a, a really interesting race and a, a close one to watch. And, uh, you know, Lee has kind of, you know, become, you know, a, a player in some important stuff that we're watching uh, down in the legislature. He's obviously, and everyone in the Wilmington delegation has been really involved in some of the Gen X stuff they do since Wilmington and Fayetteville in particular have been hit by, hard by that. Uh, he's a co-sponsor of the marijuana legalization bill. So, you know, he, he, he's not a backbencher, you know. Uh, so I, I think Democrats will definitely be interested in, in taking back that seat. Um, One of those Senate districts that... that caught my eye in part because I live in this part of Wake County is, is District 17, which is sort of southwestern Wake County. Democrats hold a very, very slim edge over those 12 elections that we've talked about. 49.2 to Republicans, 48.8. Um, right now, the incumbent is Sydney Batch, who did not win the election for that seat. She, she was appointed to it. Um, she is running for re-election. Republicans have really targeted those uh, southern and southwestern Wake um, suburbs. Uh, as an area where they see some area for growth. Uh, if you go back to the 2021 elections, the, the municipal elections, Republicans did very well in Fuquay Verena and Holly Springs, uh, flipping city councils, flipping uh, county um, mayoral ships. Um, and so uh, that's one district. I, I know Sydney Batch uh, thought that Republicans were trying to target her as a seat that they really thought they could win in Wake County. Um, so that's one of the ones, one of the six districts uh, that I think is pretty interesting. You you have some uh, experience in that area as well. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, we're we're both Southwest Wake <laughs> residents, um, uh, and you've also covered covered towns in in that area. Yeah, yeah. Before I was a political reporter, I covered that. I covered Fuquay and Apex, that whole area for the paper. And yeah, it's it's growing really fast, but it's definitely the probably the most conservative part of Wake County. Um, but it's also getting more blue the bigger it grows. That's just kind of the trends that we've seen everywhere in North Carolina. Um, and yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting to watch this seat. Also, you know, kind of up in Northern Wake County, uh, you know, you saw just Republicans evaporate in the suburbs uh, after about 2016 when Trump sort of became the face of the Republican Party. He just completely turned off all of the suburban voters. But now that Trump is kind of sidelined and obviously we have Biden in the White House, uh, it'll be interesting to see if some of those suburbs kind of start going back to the GOP or not. Obviously, Republicans think that they will. They've got a shot. I don't know you know, if we'll ever get back to quite the level of you know, Republican dominance that they had in areas like Cary, even as recently as 2014, 2015. Uh, but there's certainly, I think, at least a couple of these districts to take back. I spoke with Speaker Moore about this issue. He said... You know, previously they were not allowed to look at political data when they put these maps together. But but for this time, they were allowed to look at political data. And, and Moore said he really looked at that political data. And even though we all sort of know that urban and suburban areas are going Democratic, he said that really looking at the data was eye-opening to him. That that some of these areas in Wake and Mecklenburg County where Republicans used to represent uh, these areas in the state legislature, they're, they're just simply not Republicans anymore. But he did point that he thinks some of the, the bills or laws that have come out of the legislature, things like education funding, uh, the recent uh, mask uh, mandate repeal, 
uh, that was passed by the state legislature and vetoed by Governor Cooper. He thinks some of these issues may really resonate with, uh, with the people in the suburbs, particularly suburban moms that we talk about a lot, and may give Republicans a chance to, to win back some of those districts. Yeah, well, that's certainly their hope. <laughs> right, right. And that's what we saw in Virginia. And that's what we saw in some other places. Let, let's talk about the House district. We, we went through some of the, the six uh, Senate districts that fit into this category. There are 12 House districts, and, and they're really all over the state. Um, North Mecklenburg, Robeson, Cumberland, New Hanover, a um, couple districts in Guilford, another in South Mecklenburg. Um, and one in North Wake, uh, one in Cabarrus, which I, I actually think the Cabarrus County one is, is very interesting. Democrats, in the way that District 73 is now drawn, Democrats hold a 50-48 um, edge, if you, if you look at this historic data. Um, but that, that district, the incumbent in there is Larry Pittman, who is now, uh, as announced his retirement, is not running. So we'll have a, a, a completely open race in a district that's a 50-50 split. Um, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of Cabarrus County, which is, you know, in the right to the north of Mecklenburg and uh, sort of this, again, suburban county that we're talking about. Yeah, that was actually a district that um, the Republicans agreed to uh, to run an amendment that the Democrats had wanted for that when there was this kind of debate going back and forth in the legislature while they were drawing these. And that was part of the reason why when the House passed these, these House maps, it was almost unanimous. The, the Republicans did give the Democrats, not everything they wanted, of course, because Republicans are still in charge, um, but they gave them, you know, a, a handful of asks, um, which we didn't see in the Senate. The Senate was a much more controversial vote, much more divisive, passed along party lines. The House was pretty unanimous. And uh, one of the concessions that Republicans made to Democrats was kind of tweaking that Cabarrus County uh, district a little bit, since, as you noted, Representative Pittman is retiring. Um, you know, they didn't have an incumbent to protect. Right, there was no incumbent to protect. Um, but it, I mean, it is pretty shocking that, you know, here you have one of probably the most kind of hard right members of the legislature in, you know, and then his district now looks blue on paper. Uh, you know, of course, it could still definitely be won by a Republican in a year like 2022 if there's a, you know, a red wave. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that gives Democrats a little bit of hope in the map. You know, if you if you look at the just how we did in 2020. You know, obviously th this analysis that we're talking about here on this podcast is, you know, like you said, Brian earlier, kind of a mishmash of 2016 and 2020 races. But if you only look at 2020, uh, Donald Trump only won 61 of the 120 districts in the House. And that is the absolute bare minimum, uh, if anyone wants to do some quick math there, <laughs> that you need for a majority. Um, you know, it, it looks like the way that the maps are drawn, Republicans will still have a pretty solid chance of holding the Senate, might even be able to, you know, eke out a supermajority in the Senate uh, if they have a good year. But the House is going to be much closer. Um, uh, Roy Cooper actually won a majority of the seats in 2020. Of course, uh, you know, Democrats might respond that, you know, Cooper is... Uh, <laughs> Cooper seems to be a outlier. different breed from, from, yeah, an outlier is probably the best uh, way to he, put it. He's able to win, you know, some of the more rural-leaning seats that, that Trump also wins. There, there's several districts, uh, like the some, Southwest Wake areas that voted for Trump and voted for Cooper. Uh, and, you know, out in East North Carolina, I think there's one or two Trump-Cooper districts as well. There, but, you know, Trump won it twice, Cooper won it twice. There's got to be some some Trump-Cooper districts out there. Yeah, yeah. So this, this actually reflects that, you know, fact of the state. Uh, uh, you know, those voters can feel represented by these maps. Um, but yeah, that, that Cabarrus County is, uh, you know, kind of a, 
an, an example of an area. It's a Charlotte suburb, previously been just really, really heavily Republican, but it's shifting more blue. Uh, you know, these maps are going to reflect that a little bit more, kind of turn that into a, a battleground district. I, I don't want to go through all 12 of these, but a couple that, that you know, brought, yeah, caught my eye. Uh, district 103, which is in South Mecklenburg, Rachel Hunt, uh, daughter of former Governor Jim Hunt, uh, holds that seat. She's filed to run for the state Senate. That's a 49.9 to 48.8 seat. So that's going to be another open seat that's going to be heavily contested. Um, John Hardister's district in Guilford County is one of these. Um, uh, Brian Farkas's district in Pitt County is one of these. But, but the one I want to focus on and, and give it our, our listenership is the one in North Wake. Uh, it's Representative Terrence Everett uh, holds that district. He's a, he's a Democrat. Um, that is a 50.1 to 48.6 district. So just a slight bit of movement to the Republican side and, and uh, Terrence Everett, who has not filed uh, at this point, but, but may very well file this week. Um, you know, a little bit of movement to the Republican side and, and he'll lose that seat. What do you see in that North Wake district that, you know, might be a telltale? Well, you know, compared to a lot of the more rural areas of the state uh, that are more Trumpy, that's very much kind of a, a country club Republican sort of district. I mean, it's a it's a wealthy area. It's where literally a lot of the country clubs in, in Wake County are. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of Wake Forest. That's yeah, kind Wake of the Forest, area we're talking yeah. about, North Central Wake County. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of your your classic, you know, wealthier suburban area that Republicans used to do really well in. Is currently represented by a Democrat, but could flip back. Uh, you know, kind of depending on how the national mood is here in 2022 with these midterms. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many issues, you know, uh, we'll stay in our lane here and talk about state politics, but, you know, people have been talking about, you know, oh, will the war in Ukraine jack up gas prices and will that help Republicans because Biden is in the White House while gas prices are rising and people really, you know, care about the bottom line. I mean, that's it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> well, the amazing thing is, as we sit here in February, the election is not until November. We could see large swings. I mean, there, there are massive events happening right now, uh, not only the war in Ukraine and what that might spiral into. Um, we just saw there's going to be a Supreme Court nomination fight. Uh, the Supreme Court may ban abortion federally uh, in June or July, and that may end up dominating the election. Uh, in this Twitter uh, hyper quick it seems like we run through issues very, very quickly. Like, you know, what we were talking about in January is no longer an issue by the end of February. So to project what the issues are going to be in November it is almost impossible. That being said, you know, President Biden's approval ratings are hovering around 40. It's tough to move those, as we saw throughout the Trump presidency. Um, Trump started low and never, never gained. Biden started a little bit higher and has has quickly gotten to Trump territory, and it'll be interesting to see if he can if he can elevate those numbers. If any of the issues we've talked about help him elevate those numbers, um, the national mood I think is going to play a large role in these legislative districts. It's yeah, I mean that's really something that you've seen and you know cropping up all over the country, including in North Carolina. It's just all politics are becoming national, um, and everything is kind of a referendum on national politics. Um, you know. Like, like I said, I used to cover, you know, cities and local governments here in the Triangle. And, you know, back in the, the ancient days of 2014, it, you know, all of the races were about, like, development. And, you know, who was the pro-growth candidate, who was, you know, the kind of 
non, you know, keep the status quo candidate. And then, you know, in 2016, 2017, you saw some of those local races turn into referendums on HP2, which, you know, like they, the Apex Town Council has nothing to do with HP2, but that's what the election is about. And, you know, then 2019, 2021, 2022, it's become, you know, more about national politics and Trump. And, you know, if you're seeing that even at the, the really local level, of course, you're going to see that in some of the state legislative races as well. And we haven't even talked about COVID. I mean, you know, which has dominated, you know, the country for the last two plus years. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we don't know. Maybe COVID is gone by the time these November elections happen. Or maybe we're in the middle of a, another variant that, you know, is, is causing lockdowns or causing, um, you know, drastic changes to, to the way we live our lives. I, I mean, it's just uh, the amount of and the amount and volume of news that we're dealing with and trying to predict in the future. Hopefully we've given you, you know, a couple districts to keep an eye on um, that will be real close. And we'll be keeping an eye on them this week because these are the districts that should attract the best candidates from both parties. Yeah. Um, it's a winnable district if you're a Republican. It's a winnable district if you're a Democrat. These should be highly contested, competitive races that attract good candidates on both sides. Yeah, I mean, really, it seems bottom line where you see the competitive races are basically nowhere in Western North Carolina, nowhere in the more rural parts of the state, except when you have instances like you mentioned the Senate district that combines Fayetteville, or at least lots of Fayetteville, with more county. And then that's a really interesting example if you have a you know, really heavily rural area and then you know some su suburban voters like in Pinehurst and then some more urban voters, it, you know, kind of those, it, it mixes in a little bit of everything. But I, I think what you really do see is the competition is going to be in the suburbs and in those kind of mid-sized cities, you know, Greenville, Fayetteville, Wilmington, places like that. Um, yeah, Guilford, Mech, Wake, the suburbs of those places, and then the suburbs of those smaller cities, um, you're going to see a, a lot of these competitive races. And the good news is uh, those, are, those are places that we talk about news deserts. Those are places that actually do get covered. So yeah. hopefully um, these races will get a lot of attention and, and people will be able to make informed decisions when they go to the polls. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us. Another busy week of North Carolina politics awaits. Uh, lots of filing to come. We'll see what else the, the news brings to us. Uh, for Will Doran, I'm Brian Murphy. For the News and Observer and NCI Insider, thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Dome. We'll see you next week. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.